Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. There was a phrase in that song we just sang, unfailing love. Uh, as I was singing that with you, thinking about uh, this text, it's certainly a text that um, demonstrates to us through King David's love for his friend Jonathan, unfailing love. And it makes me wonder, where do I see that today? Where do we see it in our society outside of Christ? Where do we see examples of unfailing love? I was teaching um, Wednesday morning uh, to the guys and kids that, that come to dawn uh, on the, um, the book of Song of Solomon, a, a survey of, of the song, book Song of Solomon. And I said, this is, this is my title for this book. Marriage Manual for Home Devotions. Now, how many have used Song of Solomon for your home devotions? And no hand went up. And I said, this is God's marriage manual for home devotions. What does it teach us? One of the things it teaches us is that the marriage union is an exclusive union. Second, it's a pure union. Third, it is unto death. And I said, where else do we get that? And the answer, everybody said, nowhere. I said, that's why it's marriage manual for home devotions. We need to get it back. We need to get back what it means to have a biblical marriage, what it means to have biblical covenant with one another. And these principles are taught in the Scripture, and they're taught here in 2 Samuel 9. And I want you to to get some of the sense of that this morning. And really, um, you're not going to understand 2 Samuel 9. It starts out, then David said, you know, I, I want to I love somebody. I want to be kind for Jonathan's sake. So that's the way it's starting out. But you're not going to understand this love he has until you go back and read the covenant. So let me take you there first. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. This was back when Jonathan was still living. Jonathan's dead by the time we get to 2 Samuel 9. 1 Samuel 20. Beginning at, uh, I'm just going to break right into the middle of it. Verse 15. 1 Samuel 20, verse 15. says, you shall, this is Jonathan um, speaking, you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Now, one thing you figure out real quick is that Jonathan is an extremely wise, perceptive man. Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He should have been the next king. He dies in battle. But he already knew because God had left his father and already gone and anointed David to be the next king. Jonathan pays attention to that. He follows what God's doing. And so he comes to David and he says, David, you're going to be the next king. And you know, one of the things next kings do is they always kill their rivals. 
And one of the rivals they always kill is anybody that might be a potential heir to the throne. And Jonathan's thinking, that would be me. Because I would be the next heir. David, when you become powerful, when you become influential, when you can do anything you want because you're going to be the next king, I want you to make a covenant with me right now. You will love me. And you will love my family. And you will love us forever. And he wouldn't take a no for an answer. It's like, they, let's go through, the, Jonathan says, let's go through this again. Let's make sure you understand all the ramifications of this covenant. And David got it. He said, okay, I got that. I will make that vow. I will make that agreement between you and me. So this is long before David becomes king. My guess is somewhere between 15 to 20 years before 2 Samuel 9. All right, so now let's get in to 2 Samuel 9. So 15 to 20 years before this, Jonathan died in battle along with Saul. David indeed became king. He was king first in Hebron, and then he moved into Jerusalem, and we saw all of that. So now he's in Jerusalem, set up shop. He's got his own place. He's the king over Israel, and this is one of the first things he wants to do is he wants to honor that covenant agreement he had with Jonathan. And so he's inquiring, is there any family member of Jonathan in this town, in this place, in this kingdom? Because I made an agreement that when I got to this place in life, I would honor a covenant. And so I'm here now. So it's like, wow, who would even remember that? I don't know how many people Jonathan told. Did he even get a chance to tell his sons that there's an agreement here? But David knew it. And David takes the initiative and he comes and he's wanting to honor this, this promise. You see it in verse 1. Then David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see it again in verse 3. The king said, is there not yet any one of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Uh, and Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. And then you see it again in verse 7. David said to him, do not fear, I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul and you shall eat at the, my table regularly. So here's an example of a man who keeps his vow, a man who keeps his agreements, a man who keeps his covenants. It's also an example to us all the way through King David, an example of God's love for us. Obviously, it's something God wants us to see is this, this covenant agreement that is kept. Um, how are you doing with covenant loyalty? How are you doing at keeping your covenants? How am I doing? I mean, you don't need to spend a lot of time on how is America doing. I mean, just time after time, you, you read about not only people breaking covenants, but now we're entering into a culture where people don't even want to make covenants. They don't want any fool with it. You know, I, I had a, a guy come to me about 20 years ago and says, you know, I want to take care of my pastor. 
And I want to take care of my pastor primarily in retirement. So what I want you to do is I want to take, I want you to get some investment money. I said, I don't have any investment money. He said, I, said, I want you to take your retirement money. Don't you have some retirement money? He said, yeah, I got a little bit. So I want you to take your retirement money and I want you to invest it. And I'm going to tell you where to invest it. And that's my way of taking care of you. And I said, well, what if I put it in the investment and it goes south? You know, he said, I'm going to take care of you. I said, okay, I got a promise. You know? And so I took, went and called my retirement account up, said, how much can I get out without, you know, huge penalties? And I put it in this investment, put it all there. And at that point, it was $50,000. That's a lot of money. Put it in investment, lost it all. Tanked. I mean, I didn't lose some of it. I lost all of it. So I go to my friend. Remember, you want to take care of your pastor, right? Not my friend anymore. Doesn't want to talk to me anymore. I mean, of course, he lost too. You know, and he realized his promise. He said to me several times after, I really hope one day I'll be able to, to give some of that back. Like, uh, you said you would, would take care of that. You know, that didn't happen. How many of you have been in that kind of situation? where you had what you believed to be a promise, an agreement that somebody was going to honor and keep. Many of you have been hurt through divorce where people have promised to, to stay with you unto death and don't, through sickness and in health, through poverty and in riches, and don't. Many of you have had dads that went away and they made a promise, maybe even here at baptism, I will be a father, I'll be a mother. I will train you up in the ways of Christ and then don't. You know, we, we all make certain vows to one another, to family, to church, to society. How are we doing with covenant loyalty. We've got to get it back in our land, and I don't think it will come back or be restored in America unless it's restored through the church. Because where else do you get biblical fidelity to covenant? Where else do you get biblical covenants? You only will find it in God's word, in God's church. So I want you to think about that with me this morning, and maybe God will begin revival and reformation for many through us there's certainly power in uh, God's covenant there's great provisions um, and it's it's peculiar it seems to us so that's why I've given, given it some headings but it just this chapter just really flows let's let's look first of all at the first four verses David repeats this question he's verse one is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul he repeats that. He wants, he wants to know that answer, and he wants the answer to be accurate. He says, I want to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 2, And now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am. I'm your servant. What do you need? You know. Verse 3, the king said, Is there any? So you're an authority. You were, 
you were in Saul's house, you're in authority. Is there any yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in uh, the house of Machir, the son of Amil, in Lodabar. So the king David sent, and he brought him from the house of Machir, the sons of Emil, from Lodabar. So there is somebody, and he's got that on authority. Somebody who knows him personally, knows that this is a son of Saul, or a son of Jonathan. And so David goes after that. Um, David wants to keep covenant. Uh, think about the power of that, that there's somebody who wants to, to do that and provide um, David's got great power now. It's like he could have easily said, you know, maybe nobody knows about the covenant. Maybe nobody will remember. Maybe if there is somebody, I run into them one day, and he finds Zeba, and Zeba tells him, you know, uh, Saul had a son named Jonathan, and John had a, Jonathan had a son named um, Mephibosheth. We're going to be introduced to him in a minute. Uh, and he's still living. It's like, you would be getting that information as king, maybe because he's a rival, and you need to take care of this. Or maybe Mephibosheth knows about the covenant, and he wants to remind David. David doesn't wait for any of that to happen. He's king. He could probably take care of it. He could probably just kill the guy. Say, no, I didn't have that covenant. Sorry, you're dead. Instead, David with all of his power, says, I want to honor my agreement. I want to go find, whether he knows about it or not, I want to go find him, I want to bring him here, and I want to bless him. Because I have a covenant to keep, a covenant I made years ago, maybe people have forgotten, but I promise to protect Jonathan's family, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Think about the power in a covenant to protect. I think one of the confusing things in our society is we think covenants are about promise. It's not about promise, it's about protection. It's not about, um, it's not about passion as much as it is about protection. You get this um, smoke screen that Satan whispers in your ear um, that uh, we, we need to just sleep together. We need to have sex and you say, no, no, I, I, I want to have a marriage first. And the person comes back and says, there's no piece of paper that's going to make me love you more. See, that's the smoke screen. The piece of paper, the contract, the covenant, it's not about passion. It's not about loving you more. The piece of paper is about protection. Used to, we would say, no way am I going to give myself sexually to someone else because sex changes everything. That is extremely dangerous to do without protection. So no way am I going to do that until I have a covenant. I have an agreement that when I give myself that intimately, I will be protected. You're not going to take me and abuse me, but you're going to love me forever. That was the way it was set up. David understood that aspect of the covenant. 
It's not about, do I love Jonathan? Do I love his family? I, the vow was that I would protect in sickness and in health, in poverty and riches, whether I feel like it, whether I've got passion or not. People say, I fell out of love. We just don't love each other anymore. Well, that didn't have anything to do with it. It was about protection. You get the love and feeling back, buddy, or honey, you know, that comes and goes. The vow was not that I was going to love you as long as my love shall last, as long as I got passion. Because there's plenty of times you don't have the passion. The vow is about protection. So don't let Satan throw that smoke screen at you. That, you know, it's, it's, it's just about, you know, I don't, I don't need a piece of paper to love. No, 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 you do need men and women, boys and girls. You do need covenants. You need to protect one another. And if your love is any kind of love at all, it should model after God's love. It's a love forever. It's a love that sticks no matter how you feel, no matter how poor you became, no matter how whatever. Think about th those conditions. Well, I think we need to all examine our own covenants, our own past promises. David clearly gives us an example. I'm going to keep this regardless. I'm much more powerful. I'm much more influential. I could probably skip out on this and nobody would say anything to me. Nevertheless, I'm going to keep it regardless. That's what it was all about. And that's the kind of covenant we need to keep. Uh, you know, repentance is in order. We need to evaluate our own covenants and say, you know, I, that's not the, really the way I've been looking at this. And I need to turn from sin. And we not only need to repent individually, that we... Like Daniel and Daniel, we need to repent as a church. We need to repent as a nation that we've not been entering into our relationships with one another and our relationships with God and His church with this all-in mentality. I'm here to love you through thick and thin forever. That's the kind of love God has for us, the kind of love He wants us to have for one another for our marriage partners, for our kids, for our parents, for uh, our fellow church members, for our partnerships. It's that kind of love. And as people see, you know, they behold the church by what? Our love. And our love needs to be this kind of love. It's based on a contractual agreement with one another. How do we restore that? You know, it starts with repentance. We've got to turn from this idea that I don't need, need covenants. I don't need vows. We've got to restore the vow, and then we've got to, we'll get to Ecclesiastes 5 maybe one day, and it says, when you make a vow, don't be late in paying it. God says, I take vows very seriously. Because God's a God of word, God of truth. So let's, let's say words that we mean, and then let's keep them. Let's stay right there. So that's what you begin to see unfold here in the first four verses well i'll move on um verse five you know he goes and he gets uh, this man he re restores him or brings him there verse six we introduce to him his name is mephibosheth mephibosheth the son of jonathan the son of saul came to david and he fell on his face and he prostrated himself and david said mephibosheth 
And he said, here's your servant. David said to him, do not fear. You see, that's Mephibosheth probably thought he was going to die. I don't have a choice. The king has summoned me. He's probably sent soldiers after him. I got to go meet the king. He's asked me to come. I know who I am. I know I'm a grandson. I know I'm a king. I know who I'm related to. Verse 6. It's like he's going to be introduced to the king. Here is son of Jonathan. Catch the next phrase. Son of Saul. And Mephibosheth's probably sitting there. Could you not have just left it at son of Jonathan? But you had to bring up grandfather because grandfather is a huge rival of this man. My grandfather spent his life trying to kill David. Could you not have left that part out? Mephibosheth knows who he is. So he's afraid. The first thing out of David's mouth, verse 7, is David said to him, no need to fear. Meaning, I'm not planning on killing you. Which maybe gives me the indication Mephibosheth really didn't know about the covenant. He's afraid. The rest of verse 7. David said to him, do not fear. I will surely show kindness to you. Surprise. Why? For the sake of your father Jonathan. And will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. See, when Saul got thrown off the throne, everybody else did. And you shall eat at my table regularly. Man, that's huge news. Again, verse 8. He prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Humble man. He said, Really? What are you doing here, Saul? I mean, excuse me, uh, David. Is I'm like a dead dog. I am of absolute no value to you. I realize I should just be buried. And he just really doesn't get it. Verse 9, Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul, and so this is all in front of Mephibosheth, All that belong to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You know, pointing to this man right here. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. My math says that's 35. There's probably more. But at a minimum, Mephibosheth just inherited 35 servants who have been commissioned by the king to go out and work the land and bring him food he won't even need because he's going to eat at the king's table. It's like, wow! You know, what just happened here? And not only will he um, have these servants, but he's got all the land that they're cultivating. All that land's going to be restored to you and the houses and all the improvements, all of that now is yours. With everybody who's on the land, they become your possession. You possess them. So he's become an increasingly wealthy man just like that. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. 
So all of these 35 servants, Zeba being the uh, moderator at this point to tell everybody what their new assignments are, they said, we got it, we will do it. And it all takes place at David's initiative. Um, think about how these three things that David promises, verse 7, says David said, don't be afraid. You're going to be safe. Second, he says, uh, I'm going to give you stuff. I will surely show kindness for the sake of your son. I will restore to you. I'm going to give you all the stuff that you used to have, the land of your grandfather. All of that's yours. Whatever it was, it's now yours. You remember last week's sermon, uh, uh, Mephibosheth's probably, you know, real close by there, Jerusalem. David extended his kingdom way up to Euphrates River and way down to Edom. So David's given away a lot right here. But he's got so much more. I mean, he's, it's huge. Uh, all the things that David has, has, has inherited and the lands he's taken over through battle. So you think, man, like he's given the kingdom. He's given a lot. Given, given Mephibosheth safety, he's given him all this stuff. And then the third thing, in verse 7, the last part says, and you shall eat at my table regularly. That's a huge status. Because no matter where you go, oh, you have the king's ear. You, you sit down with him. You eat with him. It was a big deal to, to sit at the king's table. You have all the authority and power of a son because you're there day in and day out with the king. Uh, Mephibosheth comes expecting to die and then in disbelief he gets everything anybody could possibly dream. Um, David did more than he promised. Or did he? I mean, he loved Jonathan for Jonathan's sake. He loved Jonathan and his family until he died. He said he would, and he did. That was David's love. I mean, how is it different from God's love for us? I mean, you obviously see the security, the protection theme. But God comes to us frequently. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. There's no need to fear in my presence. Because I love you. And God gives us stuff all the time. No matter what we want, he says, you don't have to worry about hunger and thirst. I'm going to take care of that. And God gives us status as the sons of God. And we get to eat at the king's table every week. And we sometimes forget the significance of that relationship that is ours. Um, look at some verses with me. Look at Psalm 23. We started with that in the beginning of the service. But half of you weren't here, so you missed it. Okay, let's jump at it again. Psalm 23. You know this psalm, but I just want you to see it. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next phrase? I shall not want. It's literally a phrase. There will be no lack. There's obviously going to be no other shepherd. I mean, there's that implication. But I'm not going to have a insufficiency of anything because I have a shepherd the Lord is my shepherd and that changes everything which is why you can get to the last phrase only verse 6 only goodness and loving kindness 
will follow me all the days of my life. Because I have a God who loves me, shepherds me. He gives me safety. He gives me all the stuff I need. And he gives me status to eat at his table. He's prepared a table before me. No matter what my enemies do, he prepares this table. So only good and mercy, loving kindness follow me all the days of my life. I mean, it's unbelievable. Look at John chapter 1, verse 16. John 1, verse 16. I want to come back here in a little bit too. But this phrase, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Uh, we don't just get a, a, a meager amount with God. It's of his fullness he wants to give us. You certainly see that in David's relationship with Mephibosheth. I don't want to just be nice to you. I want to lavish you with fullness. You know, I, want to, I want to take you beyond your wildest dreams. And that's God to fullness, grace upon grace upon grace. Look at John 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. It's said many ways, but Christ is saying you can take off the table, really, this, this concept that you're going you're gonna to lack. You're not going to lack. I'm going to take care of your hunger. I'm going to take care of your thirst. I'm going to provide for you. Uh, Romans 8.32, one of my favorite verses in all the world, um, it's, it's this summation of all of this. God the Father speaking to us about the gift he gives us in his son, Romans 8, 32, and he says, he who did not spare his own son, that's God the Father, didn't spare his son, but he delivered him over to death for us all. If he would do that, the last phrase, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What do you think God the Father is going to withhold from us if he's already given us his only begotten son he's all in he's not gonna he's not gonna let us go without he's gonna take care i mean he may take us through trials and we need we may need lots of trials for certain reasons but he's gonna always take care because he's already given us his son how will he not with him freely give us all that we need we have a god who wonderfully provides and that provision is based on his covenant. I want to get us there and think about that. Let me finish up 2 Samuel 9. I'll get us come back to that. 2 Samuel 9, I haven't read verse 12 and 13, which to me just turned out to be kind of interesting. Uh, 2 Samuel 9, verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Well, so there's more. We didn't know till now. Um, there's a great-grandson here. And, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Reminded us here about, told us early in the chapter, he was crippled. Reminds us again, he's lame in both feet. Reminds us again, he's eating at the king's table. That must be pretty significant. He mentioned that four times in these 13 verses. That he eats at the king's table regularly. Just showing this constant care of God um, to who could have been an enemy. 
He reminds us that he's, he's lame in both feet. You, if you remember, it's back in 1 Samuel 4, um, when they were getting out of Dodge as fast as they came, they could basically, uh, it, it sounds like Mephibosheth's nanny picked him up. He's just a little child at that point. Picks him up trying to run for safety, and she must drop him or step on him or something falls on him. It says, in the process, he fell. That's all the scripture tells us. He fell. It was an accident. And as a little infant, both feet were crippled. There was no way to fix them. And he stayed lame from infancy for the rest of his life. That's who's just been loved so lavishly. A man who's lame in both feet. And we both, we all said, oh man, so so sad that he had to go through life that way. And he did nothing wrong. Just as a child, he fell and he's crippled. So he, he's obviously gone through a lot of trials because now we come into the story and he has a son. That's why I said it's, you know, maybe 15, 20 years. Maybe he's 20 and he's got a, a little infant of his own now. He's got a son and all of this love and care. It's a little sometimes peculiar when you get a couple of verses that aren't telling you anything you didn't already know. And that seems to be what's, what's happening here in verse 12 and 13. It's like, why are you telling me this again? When God tells me something he's already told me, it's usually for emphasis. I want you to see this love. I want you to see the, the extent of it. I want you to see the grace of it. I want you to see the power of it. I want you to see the particularity about it. It, it, it is particular. It is special. It is peculiar even because this guy didn't offer the king anything he couldn't go to battle with him he couldn't give him anything he's poor he's lame he even calls himself a dead dog what does he have to offer and it seems to be the emphasis nothing he's dependent and he's got this little dependent kid, too, that, I mean, you take this on, you're taking on a lot. But David said, yeah, that's what I want to do, and I want people to know that. That's the nature of a good covenant. It reminds me, I mean, that's God's emphasis. Look at Romans 5. Verses 6 through 11. It, it's so much like God's love. For us, Romans 5, verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Can you not see Mephibosheth in that? Mephibosheth didn't have anything to offer. 
He was lame. He was crippled. He was a dead dog. He was, as Romans calls it, helpless. And I hope you begin to see, I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. What do you have to offer God? Now, if, if there was a chance that I could save somebody, I would want to save the best of somebody, of humanity, if I, if I could only save one, right? To save the best man and the best woman, if that's all you can save. But would you run to the infirmity, infirmary and say, if I can only save one, I'm going to save somebody who's crippled. I'm going to save somebody who's lame. I want to save somebody who can't do anything. I want to save somebody who is absolutely helpless. And that's what David wanted to do. He goes after the man who was an enemy, a rival, and helpless, and I want to save him. And God is saying, and that's what I do for you. When I come to you in Christ, you are at enmity with me. You are fighting me. You are running to fight. I come to my enemy, and I lavish you. I give you the promise. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to destroy. I'm here to reconcile and redeem. But I'm a dead dog. I have nothing to offer. Not a problem. I didn't come because you had something to offer. I came because you were helpless. You, couldn't, you can't do it yourself. And I want to take you and reconcile you to God. I want to love you. That's who we are. And our only hope as Mephibosheths is that somebody has made a covenant for our protection. And that somebody is Christ. And Christ makes covenant with God the Father. God the Father makes covenant with Christ. I'll give you the parameters. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Excuse me, not 1 John, John chapter 1. And you've heard this verse, because I, I use it a lot. But think about it as God the Father's covenant with God the Son. John 1. Verse 12. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So God the Father says to God the Son, if any receive you, then I'll receive them. If any receive you, I'll give them the right to be my son. You realize, by the way, Christ, that you'll be sharing your sonship privileges which is why Christ even refers to us as his brothers. 
Christ's covenant was, I will die in their place. I will pay their penalty. I will take their wrath. You let them be like me. You let them be adopted into the family of God as sons of God. And God says, agreed. So then we get this verse. So then as to, he comes to his own, he says, I want you. His own says, I, well, we don't want you, the Jews. He says, okay, so I'll go after some more. And he goes after into as many as receive him. God says, covenant agreement. I adopt them as my sons. And not only do I adopt them, I want them to eat at my table every week. I want them to have all the rights and privileges of sons. I will no longer treat them as rivals. I will no longer treat them as enemies. Instead, I will provide, I will protect, and I will love until death do us part. What a glorious God we have. You know, every week when we, we take of the Lord's Supper, I hold up the little wine cup because Jesus referred to it twice. He referred to it in the Gospel of Luke and again in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant. It's a sign of a covenant that I have agreed to pour out my blood so that you might inherit sonship. Be sons and daughters of God. So as we take this morning, you're proclaiming, yes, that's my right. It's my right to be a son and daughter of God because God the Father has a covenant with God the Son. And the God the Son has allowed me to enter into that covenant by giving me the sign of his life and his blood. Um, do we need covenants back? By all means. That's where life exist it's crazy to be in a world with no covenant to have a relationship with no covenant there's no protection at all but in it there's nothing but blessing and privilege and that's what god grants us let's pray together father so easy for us to get swept away by the world and to think that we are free without obligation by just doing away with covenants father there's no freedom there's only destruction we're like a puppet it's cut our own strings lord forgive us forgive us for turning away let us turn back to a covenant keeping god let us turn back to keeping covenant with one another let us come back to rejoicing week after week that we have a covenant-keeping God who provides much through faithfulness to covenant. Father, let us not play with you or with one another. May we be those who honor the truth, who honor commitments with our life. And Lord, we ask that the next generation growing up will see the value of what it really means to love covenantally one another. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.